Thank you, Cynthia, for sharing that with us. Uh, thank you, worship team. And I just want to say a thank you to everybody who, uh, who shared a message while I was gone. Uh, Lucas, he's back here. Didn't Lucas do an awesome... Where's Lucas at? Oh, he's back there. Uh, Lucas, uh, Jason, who held down the fort last week. Um, my friend, Orlando and Natalie. Um, it was kind of wild thinking about the last time I preached here was actually on Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, the, the title of my message was A Baby Changes Everything. And we talked about how uh, the birth of Jesus Christ changes everything and how my life was soon going to change. And uh, Christmas morning, we're like, we don't want the baby to come Christmas morning because then he gets kind of left out. Anybody in here have a Christmas birthday? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You just get like one gift instead of multiple gifts. So we're like, don't want a Christmas birthday, maybe the 26th, the 27th. Didn't come. He didn't come. Then we're like, okay, the due date's January 5th. He's going to come on the due date around then. We were hopeful. He didn't come. And at that point, we were realizing, okay, you know what? We're no longer in control of our lives. Uh, and he's going to come on his own timetable whenever he wants to. So on January 12th, a Sunday, we checked into the hospital, Emory, and uh, my wife, Emily, was induced. And so for 24 hours or so, she was in labor. And then for about three hours, she was pushing. And then the doctors were like, we need to try something else. This isn't working. And we're like, oh, my gosh. So it was like 2 a.m. And then finally, uh, she went into the operating room. We were rushed in there, had a C-section. And on January 14th, a Tuesday at about 3 o'clock a.m., our son, Patrick James Anderson, was born. PJ. Um, yeah, he accomplished. Yeah, he did it. And actually, they're here. They're here. People have been wanting pictures, but this is better than a picture. Look at him. <laughs> He's huge, isn't he? Ten pounds. Uh, he already... <laughs> he already lost his birth weight and then regained it. He's like ten pounds, six ounces now, 23 inches. Uh, everybody's been asking about Emily. Emily, how are you doing? Surviving. Surviving. She's surviving, looking great. Um, and so he has been awesome. I mean, look at him. He's so chill. And, you know, honestly, he is the smartest baby I've ever met. Um, he is the smartest baby. <laughs> okay, okay. They're going to go off. They're going to go off. Um, but no, so he, he made his grand entrance into the world. Um, and it was kind of, I mean, it was crazy. We were already sleep deprived at the beginning of it. And in the operating room, I mean, there was like 20 people. I didn't even know what they were all doing. And then finally, in the midst of all of it, one of the nurses comes over and says, hey, would you like to see your son? And I said, of course. And so I got up. He was under the heat lamp, already all cleaned up. And it was then, under that heat lamp, that I got to speak the very first words that I would ever speak to my son. And I spoke those words over him. And this morning, I want to share with you those words because I think the words that I shared with him are words that are important for all of us to hear and really internalize at some point in our lives. And so even though he's not going to remember those words, I'm going to try to remind him over time. And I want to share them with you today as we open up God's word together as well. But before we do that, let's bow with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask God to bless this time together. Lord, uh, we thank you for the gift of a family. We thank you for the gift of a church family that's with us in the most joy-filled moments of life and that walks with us when we're in those difficult valleys as well. 
And so God, as we've gathered together as a church family today, we ask that you would take my words and speak through them, take our hearts and speak to them, take our lives and transform them as we open them to you. And it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before I tell you those words, I want to introduce you to the new sermon series uh, that we're in, um, and it, it's, it's called Jesus Unfiltered. And really, the question that we're going to be looking at throughout this sermon series is one simple question, but perhaps the most profound question that any person could ever ask, and that question is this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we're going to be pushing for you to answer the question, who is Jesus to you? And now Jesus, he is, by pretty much all standards, the most influential person in history, in religious history, in all of the world. And so this is a very important question. And when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, pretty much everybody, particularly in a country like ours, has some kind of image in their mind of who Jesus is already. No matter if you grew up in church or not. So what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture who Jesus is in your mind. Maybe think about what he looks like. Think about maybe what his demeanor is like, his personality, attitude, all those kinds of different things. Okay, now I want you to open your eyes, but keep the image in your mind. And so if we were to pull the room right now or like have you draw out your picture of Jesus, that would be funny. Um, But if we were to pull the room, we would quickly discover that there are vastly different pictures of who Jesus is. Some of you might have had uh, this picture in your mind. Anybody here, let's be honest, anybody here have this image of Jesus in their mind when you thought of Jesus? Okay. What about this one? You know, Jesus kind of meek and mild, like petting sheep and like, you know, all the kids sitting in his lap. You might have, This is like at every dentist office, the children's Bible sitting there on the table. Um, so you got that one. Anybody know this one? You got this one from Passion of the Christ, right? Uh, Mel Gibson's movie. It's a great depiction of Jesus. Maybe when you think of Jesus, he's, he's on the cross. Maybe you think of a crucifix um, or uh, what is this? Jim Caviezel, is that his name? Maybe you think of him or... Uh, now, this is an interesting one. So this is actually an image of, of Jesus created by forensic scientists looking at archaeological remains of men in the Middle East when Jesus would have been alive. And this is likely what many people would have looked like. So maybe you have this image of Jesus in your mind as a, as a kind of a small in stature, uh, Middle Eastern guy, which is what he was. Um, or maybe, uh, I love this one. Uh, Jesus laughing. Anybody have this picture of Jesus just like joy-filled, life of the party, everybody wants to be around him, all the sinners know Jesus needs to be at our party because he is the best guy to have in a group of people. I mean, all of us have a different image of Jesus in our minds. Now I want you to think about this question. How did you come to have this image of Jesus that you hold in your mind and in your heart and your understanding of him? That's a little bit deeper question. I think if you really begin to reflect and you're honest with yourself, you'll begin to discover that our images of Jesus are shaped by a lot of different things. By our family, maybe what they told us or didn't tell us about him growing up. 
by movies, TV shows, art, pop culture. A lot of our images of Jesus are shaped by what other people have told us about him, maybe what we learned in school or picked up along the way. And I mean, my image of Jesus is actually, when I just look in my mind, is this one. And now you might be wondering why so many people raise their hand for this image of Jesus. Um, and, and this is largely my image because this, this painting by Warner Salmon, there's over half a million copies of it around the world. It's perhaps the most famous modern image of Jesus. And in my home church in Conyers, it was hanging over one of the exits. And so about 10 times per week, I was in and out of church all the time as a kid, I would walk right under this guy. And, and look, I know Jesus didn't have like beautiful wavy hair and like a perfect beard like is in this photo. It was probably a little matted and a little rougher around the edges. He, he probably didn't have blue eyes or this stoic look on his face all the time. But because that was my experience growing up, this is the image that kind of pops in our mind. Because our images of Jesus are shaped by so many different things. Our past experiences, our present, what we've heard from other people, what we've read, what we've seen. And a lot of times, our images of Jesus are, are filtered by so many things, but actually they're, they're not largely shaped by the Jesus we find throughout Scripture. I mean, our culture today is largely biblically illiterate. A lot of us don't read the Bible too often. And so when it comes to this question, who is Jesus, we have something in our minds, but it actually might be different than the Jesus that's revealed to us through God's word. And as Christians, we believe that, that the Bible is God's revelation to us about himself and about his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's the best place to look if we want to know really who Jesus is. And so in this sermon series, what we're going to be doing, really leading up until Easter, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the gospel of Mark, into Mark's account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And we're going to be looking at Mark because Mark is, is really, most scholars agree, the earliest source of information about Jesus' life. And so we're going to be diving deep into this question, who is Jesus? And my hope is that, that as we dive in together that you're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised at who Jesus is and that God is going to meet you and that perhaps Jesus is going to begin to transform your life as we open up the scriptures together. And so in your bulletin, uh, you might have seen a little, little bookmark here, um, if you want to pull that out. And this bookmark um, actually has a reading plan on it, because what we're going to do leading up until Easter is we're going to read the book of Mark together as a church. And we're going to let Mark's account of Jesus' life shape us these next number of weeks. If you don't have one of these, you can grab one. Um, on your way out at the Welcome Center. Um, and so every day, there are simply some verses for you to read. I want to invite you, if you have a Bible you love, put it in your Bible. And each day, you don't have to decide what to read. You don't have to think about it. You can just go there. Monday morning, February 3rd, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Each daily reading will only take you about five minutes or so. Uh, we want to make this easy for you. We want to help you make reading the Bible a habit in your life. And if you notice, there's no readings on Saturday or Sunday, so you can use those days to catch up. And my hope is that through these reading guides, 
then maybe you'll read Mark and talk about it with your spouse, with your children, with your small group, with friends, family members. Bring somebody along on the journey with you as we begin diving deep into who Jesus is together. So if you have a Bible you love, I'd love for you to put that in there. If you don't have a Bible you love, um, or you just want to kind of mix it up, we also have paper copies of the Gospel of Mark out in the lobby. Um, We have a limited number today. We'll have more next week. But this paper copy of the Gospel of Mark actually has uh, the readings already broken up in it. So you literally just open it, and and they're there Monday, Tuesday, each reading. And um, I want to invite you when you're reading, circle things, put question marks by things, underline things, star things, write down some reflections as we jump in together. And so you can grab one of these um, on your way out. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to begin together. We're going to begin together in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up. If you have the Bible app or something like that, you can go ahead and uh, log on there. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And as you're, you're getting to that reading, um, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Mark, uh, church tradition tells us, um, also went by the name John Mark. And um, pretty much all New Testament scholars agree, there's a little disagreement, but pretty much all New Testament scholars agree that Mark was the first gospel written. It was the very first account of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible. And Mark was writing mere decades after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And he was a companion to Peter. And so Peter, as you might know, was a disciple. He, he followed Jesus along. He was an eyewitness. And so Mark is taking down all of these stories and writing them down in this orderly account to preserve them for the church. And now, 2,000 years later, uh, his work has continued to shape people, and our hope is that it will shape us in these days ahead. So I want to begin reading with you Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 1. We're going to read until verse Uh, 15. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And after John was put in prison, 
Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So actually, we did Monday's reading right there. But we invite you to read it again tomorrow morning. And so this is the beginning of Mark's account of Jesus' life. And, and as we read today, and really as you read throughout these next number of weeks, I want to invite you to read and, and simply take a very basic framework to reading the Bible as, as you digest it personally. And the framework that I want to invite you to use as you're reading is simply three parts. And the first part is that as you're reading, I want you to just make observations about what's going on in the passage that Mark tells us. And to just ask the question, you know, what does it say? And, and so to just look, okay, well, what is Mark saying? What comes before this? What comes after this? When you have a question like, well, why does Mark use this word? Or why does Mark use that word? Or what does this mean? I want, I want you to put a question mark by it. Circle it. This is just where you're beginning to digest and try to figure out on the surface what's simply going on here. Make observations as a first step as you're reading. But then... After you begin making observations, as you're reading each day, I want to invite you to go a little bit deeper and begin to move to interpretation. And to not just ask, what does it say, but also to ask, okay, well, what, what does all this mean? I mean, what, what does this passage tell us about God? What, it, what does it tell us about Jesus Christ? What does this passage reveal to us uh, about humanity and God's promises or God's purposes in our world. So this is diving a little bit deeper and asking this question, okay, well, what does it mean? But then I want you to take the next step and to move towards what we call application. And when you're reading Mark's gospel each day and learning more and more about who Jesus is, I want you to ask the question, what does this mean for me? How does this connect with my life today? Because sometimes we, we think of the Bible as just this ancient book that might sit on a coffee table at your grandmother's house. But God's word is a living word. And God wants to meet us through his word on a daily basis. And so this question of application is us saying, okay, God, how are you speaking to me today? How does this connect with my life and make a difference in my life today? And we want to do this because the purpose of reading the Bible isn't just an academic exercise so that we can gain more information. The purpose of reading the Bible is for life transformation. It's so that God might meet us and change us. And so as you're reading Mark, I mean, you don't have to do all these like every time in proper order or anything, but I just want you to keep these categories in your mind, observation, interpretation, and application. And, and what I want to do with you today, and we're not going to take we're not going to take too long. What I want to do with you is basically use this framework to walk through the passage that we just read as we begin this journey together. And so, as we go through this passage, and you think about, okay, well, what is What's going on here? And you just begin to make observations. I mean, you probably have different reflections on it than I do. But when I'm reading this, you know, one thing I notice is that verse 1, Mark simply says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So when it comes to the question of who is Jesus, Mark, he lays his cards down up front. 
He's saying, look, I believe Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And from that point forward throughout his gospel, as he tells about the events of Jesus' life, he is going to try to convince you. He hopes that at the end of the gospel, you come to the same conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah sent by God, and he is God's one and only son sent into the world to save us and to redeem humanity. And so, so that's how Mark begins. And then he begins in a very interesting way. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this or you observe, like, nobody reads the gospel of Mark around Christmas time. I've never been to a Christmas Eve service where somebody reads from the gospel of Mark. Do you know why? Because he doesn't tell us about Jesus' birth. And at Christmas, we want to hear about the birth of Jesus, right? So Mark, if you notice, if you're making observations, he skips over the entire birth of Jesus. Instead, he starts with an Old Testament quotation from the prophet Isaiah. And then he begins to tell us about this weird dude named John who had clothes made of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist who ate locusts and wild honey. Like that guy would probably like get pushed to the edge of most churches these days. He begins telling us about this guy named John who's preparing the way for Jesus, who's out in the wilderness by the Jordan River, baptizing people, saying, look, someone is coming who is greater than I am. And I'm simply part of the preparations. And so when you're making observations, you know, it's interesting to note, Mark doesn't mention anything about the birth of Jesus. And actually, the very first thing Mark tells us about Jesus, the very first scene that we see of Jesus's life isn't his birth, but it's the birth of his ministry. It's his baptism. And this is one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture where Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. And when he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up. The Holy Spirit comes down. And there is this voice from heaven. His Father's voice who says these beautiful words, You are my Son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. And then right after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. And then he begins to preach. And now if you have your Bible, um, I want you to circle in verse 12. Verse 12 begins like this. It says, at once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness. And I want you to circle that word at once because this word at once, the Greek word is euthus, and it's also translated immediately This word is like Mark's favorite word to use. It occurs over 40 times in the book. Mark is constantly saying, immediately Jesus did this. At once, Jesus did that. You're going to observe this as you go on, and you're going to be like, wow, he really uses this word a lot because Mark, he doesn't give us a lot of details. He doesn't give us a lot of fluff. Mark is telling us the events of Jesus' life in very rapid succession. And because he doesn't give us a lot of details... When Mark tells us something, we know that it's significant and we should pay attention. And so those are just some of my observations when I've been reading and reflecting on this passage this week. And so as we move from making observations to interpretations, then we can ask the question, well, why does Mark begin his gospel this way? Why does he start with this prophet and John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism instead of his birth, like, 
the other writers pretty much do. And so as we begin to dive into that question, why does he start this way rather than a different way, we begin, begin to make interpretations. And I think Mark begins this way for two particular reasons. And I think one reason why Mark begins with this Old Testament prophet and John the Baptist is because he wants us to see that Jesus' story is part of a much bigger story. Sometimes we think Jesus just like randomly appeared on earth one day. That he just like dropped out of heaven and like that was it. That was the beginning of of God redeeming all of humanity. But Mark is trying to point us to the fact that that's not the case. Actually, in verse 1, he uses the word, he says, the beginning. And he, he actually, it's almost a reference pushing us back to Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. And basically, he's trying to get us to see that God has been at work in the world from the very first moments of the world. That this plan of redemption, it didn't just happen randomly. Jesus coming into our world is part of a much bigger story that God has been doing for a long time. And so we have this Old Testament prophecy reminding us that for generations... God's people looked forward to and anticipated a Messiah coming into the world, someone who would come and rescue humanity, who would rule over them and lead them. This passage reminds us that that God has been using people like John the Baptist for, for generations. I mean, he used Abraham, he used Isaac, he used Jacob. He's been preparing the way for Jesus. He prepared his people Israel, and now Jesus is part of this bigger story. God has been at work for a long time, and now we're seeing God continue to work. So I think that's one of the reasons why he starts his passage with the prophets, with John the Baptist preparing the way. But then when it comes to the question of why does he start not with Jesus's birth, but with the birth of his ministry, my interpretation is that, that Mark does this Because he wants us to see that Jesus' identity given to him at his baptism drives all of his activity. I think he wants us to see that Jesus' identity drives all of his activity. I mean, if you notice here, before he's tempted in the wilderness and faithfully passes through it, before Jesus heals anybody, before he does any great teachings, before he multiplies the bread and has all of these miracles, before he does any of that, before he lays down his life, his heavenly father says to him, you are my son and I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. This is a declaration of Jesus's identity. And this identity drives everything from this point forward. As my friend J.D. Waltz says, he says, these words come prior to any performance. This identity as God's beloved son precedes all activity and propels all activity. And so Jesus, when he's walking this earth, you'll notice one of the things that's attractive about him is that he doesn't try to please other people. He doesn't have to perform tricks and miracles for Satan. He doesn't have to be successful in the world's eyes, or do things the way other people want him to do. You're going to notice very quickly that Jesus actually makes a lot of people very angry a lot of the time. 
But Jesus is able to do this. And he's able to love other people perfectly. He's able to love himself and he's able to love God because he knows who he is. He is God's beloved. God loves him. God is pleased with him. He is God's son. And that identity is at the core of who he is and it drives everything he does. And so Mark is revealing to us that Jesus' identity pushes forward all of his ministry. So then, as we move from interpretation to application and begin to think, okay, well, what does this have to do with any of us today? Right? I mean, how do we bridge this gap between then and now? I think two of the things that God might be saying to us, one of them is that your story is part of a bigger story. Your life's not an accident. Your life's not random or without a purpose. Just as God has been at work since the days of creation, God is at work in your life right now. I mean, sometimes we think that, you know, okay, after Jesus walked the earth and did the miracles and rose into heaven, we kind of think, all right, that was it. God packed up his bag and just left us to be. But that's not the case. God is still active and at work in your life today. And he has a purpose for each of us. He wants to use us for good in the world. He wants to use us to share the good news with other people. He wants to use us to display his glory. And God has been at work in your life since you were in your mother's womb. Since those earliest days, God has been at work in your life. He's been seeking to draw you to himself, to have a relationship with you. Your story is part of a bigger story. So I think that's one word that God would have for us today. And I think the second word that he would have for you and for me is that God wants you and I to know our true identity as well. I mean, there's lots of competing voices in our world. There's lots of people who would tell us who we should be, how we should act. There's lots of things, we, we, identities we try to create for ourselves. But I think what God, through the gospel of Mark, wants to reveal to us, he wants to reveal to us that we're loved by him. That we're loved. That we're his sons and daughters. And that he's well pleased with us. See, the words at Jesus' baptism that were spoken over him are words that God speaks over us at our baptism. These words of identity that God gives Jesus, God also offers to you and to me. He wants us to know his love in our lives. He wants us to open up our hearts and experience his love, to know that he is our heavenly father. He wants us to know that he is pleased with us. He wants a relationship with each of us. And here's the thing. When you know that your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ and being God's child, and when you know that God loves you, it changes everything in your life. It changes your relationships. 
Because you don't have to get your sense of worth from other people anymore. Because you know that your worth comes from God. It, it changes what we do in the world because we don't have to try to be perfect. We don't have to try to be successful by all of the world's standards. We don't have to try to earn a lot of money and, and, and to do all this good because we know that no matter whether we do great good or no matter whether we're deemed failures in this world, God loves us. He's with us and he's for us. When we know our true identity, when we receive that identity as a gift into our lives, it began, begins to transform who we are and then it also begins to transform what we do every single day of our lives. So all of that brings me back to the hospital room. You know, they have pain medication. It didn't work that well for Emily. So there's a lot of chaos in the room. There's a lot of screaming. The nurse comes over to me. She says, hey, would you like to see your son? I go over to him. I see him. He's huge. That was my first thought. And then I had the chance to speak words over him. The very first words that I'd ever get to speak to him. And what I said to him that day, nobody else heard. And I'll hopefully write it down in a baby book somewhere so he can learn it one day. The very first words I spoke to him were, I love you. I love you, Patrick. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. See, I wanted him to know, and I'm going to try to live this out every day of his life. I wanted him to know that he has worth in my eyes no matter if he goes on to do great things or if he just kind of never takes off. I wanted him to know that I loved him and that he was my beloved son. I wanted him to know that whether he goes on to, to speak great profound truths to people or whether he never speaks at all. I wanted him to know these things whether he becomes a preacher or whether he becomes a prodigal. I wanted him to know that I love him. Because when we know that we are loved and that we have worth, it changes everything. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we interact with other people. It changes how we live our lives every single day. And so, I hope that you have somebody in your life who loves you, who can speak those words of unconditional love over you. But I know that some of you might not. So I just want you to know this morning that you have a heavenly Father who loves you. He speaks those words over you. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And throughout our journey of life, God is at work in each of our lives. And what he's doing is he's trying to get us to open up our hearts and to receive those truths, to trust in them, to believe them ourselves. 
and to let them take root deep inside of us and change everything. So hopefully as we go on this journey throughout Mark's gospel and you begin to learn more who Jesus is and the love our heavenly father has for each of us, my hope is that you will be transformed on this journey. That you will know that God has been at work in your life from the very first days and that you'll receive this identity that he wants to give you. And this morning, I'm, I'm thrilled that all of this came together, that we have the opportunity to baptize two individuals who are part of our church, who are joining our church today, and who are really receiving this new identity in Christ as they go in the waters of baptism. As they hear those heavenly words spoken over them, you are my, you are my sons, I love you, I'm well pleased with you, you are now part of the body of of Christ, We have the opportunity to baptize them today. And if you've never been baptized or uh, you still have a lot of questions, I just want to say welcome. And we want you these next weeks, as we learn more about who Jesus is, we hope that you'll open up your hearts and let them be transformed. And if, if you've grown up in church all your life and you have a picture of Jesus, my hope is that Jesus will begin to transform you as well. So let's go before God and ask him to make it so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you haven't left us in this world on our own, but that you are at work in each of our lives. God, sometimes when we just lay out our lives in front of ourselves, we don't understand what's going on. We can't see your hand. We can't see how things fit together, but God, when we can't see your hand, we pray that you would help us to trust your heart, that you would help us to know that you are for us, you are with us, and the greatest sign of that is you sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, into our world to save us. God, we thank you for this day, and we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen.